Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. While the world is all gloomy and full of despair, one thing that might help you is comfy loungewear. But I mean, it won't help with a war or, you know, a raging disease. But it will help you sit on your bottom with enjoyment and ease. Ooh, British boxers, they sell lovely pants and pajamas. Ooh, British boxers, which might help you deal with global dramas. Ooh, British boxers, they are a really nice sort so go check their range from t-shirts to boxer shorts British Box is a very ethically lovely loungewear and underwear company who just the other week went viral on Twitter for posting swears about Nigel Farage. So what more could you want? And with the code PARPOLBRO15, you get 15% off any order what you do on their site at British-Boxes.com. So don't just forget that while everything out there seems quite mad That some things might be pants and yet also not bad Or British boxers British box don't sell boxers So please don't try to buy any of your favourite boxing legends And welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that hopes to be a refuge for ears, but like the UK, is actually far less hospitable than it should be. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week as Housing Minister and wow, you really fucked up that omelette, Michael Gove says he would take in the Ukrainian refugee in his home, I ask, haven't they been through enough already? In these upsetting times, for those who are fortunate not to be living somewhere that's being bombarded by missile strikes, it's hard to know just how best to help the people that are. Is it donations? Is it spreading awareness? Is it just getting out of the way and not adding to the horrendous amounts of really, really shit hot takes? It's not easy to decide, and so it makes sense that the people we elected to represent us, the British government, have also struggled with how to help the people of Ukraine too. Ukrainian president and the lead singer of Westlife Looks Tired, Vladimir Zelensky, addressed the British Parliament via video link and, as many British papers pointed out, evoked both Shakespeare and Churchill because that's how you appeal to a room filled with people who only respond to historical nationalism and theatrics about power-mad leaders who talk in outdated language. It's worth remembering again that Zelensky used to be a comedian and that's why he no doubt saw an inebriated, inattentive, stupid audience and realised the only way they'll really pay attention is if he makes it about them and what they like. 
It was a very emotional speech, evoking the horrors he and his country have been subject to these past few weeks, and the Ukrainian president's pleas for more sanctions on Russia and a no-fly zone over Ukraine clearly cut through. Why else? Why else did the government go away, racking their brains for just how to help this country under siege and decide that what was really needed is for Vladimir Zelensky to receive an honorary British knighthood? Yes, brilliant. If only he had a sir before his name and a pledge of allegiance to a queen of another country entirely, who may already be dead, then Russia would probably think, ah, yeah, we'd probably just better quit this thing, because what's the point? Can you even imagine the benefits it might give Zelensky himself, as he'd be far more likely to be allowed into the UK if he was a sir, and would probably only have to work half-time picking vegetables for a right to stay? What greater honour could there be than saying to a man who stayed in his country as it's been bombed and attacked to crap and been an icon of bravery for so much of the world that in the British government's eyes, he means the same to them as former education secretary and overtued dog toy Gavin Williamson, who failed all of the country's children and leaked national security secrets. In fact, President Zelensky is now so revered by the British establishment that he will be a knight right alongside the properly deaded, but it's hard to tell as he always looked that way, Jimmy Savile, who everyone in Britain is very aware of indeed, and I think that's the least you can say about him. Of course, the British government haven't stopped there with their aid during this crisis, and they have also just announced that if you want to take in a Ukrainian refugee to live in your home, they will give you £350 to do so, which is nice because that should cover roughly one month's heating bill for the room they're staying in, which is very handy. It seems unfair that it's only 350 quid though, when the Conservatives get donated absolutely thousands just so someone can sit in one of their parliamentary houses and they don't even sleep over. Well, okay, they do, especially in the Lords. That 350 quid though is just for taking in Ukrainian refugees' mind, as if you want to help someone out from another war-torn place like Yemen or Afghanistan, for example, then that is on you for being off-trend. Various cabinet ministers have said they might consider housing a refugee at one of their many, many homes, but you know it'll largely depend on if people keep asking them about it, and hopefully they won't in a week's time and then they won't have to bother. It does really take away the goodwill gesture if, after escaping the Russian invasion and trekking for miles, you finally make it to the UK and find, oh no, you have to live with the health secretary and star of 80s children's series Bod, Sajid Javid, who keeps telling you that videos of Ukraine make him cry nearly as much as Allegra Stratton's resignation did and how his dad drove a bus so that means he's a real boy. Or imagine suffering PTSD of war trauma and witnessing your home and friends being destroyed and then waking up in a big house to find Michael Gove is watching you sleeping again while rubbing his face and secreting goo, because he definitely, definitely does that. The biggest flaw in yet another government plan that seems to be, we can't be bothered so if you really care about it, you do it, is that even if you are able to and have the space to house a Ukrainian refugee, which is great if you can, it's amazing, but then chances are very slim that they'll actually make it over anyway. So far, the Home Office efforts have meant the 50 people they accepted visa applications for last week has now risen to 3,000. Amazing. So that only leaves 22,000 who've applied and can't get in, which is a sort of success rate you definitely not get made temp of the week for achieving. From this week, though, anyone seeking refuge in the UK from Ukraine will no longer have to get their fingerprints and photos done before travelling to the UK and can complete their application once they arrive here, which then means that gives the chance for the Home Office to lose all of their papers and then deport them at a later date, and also gives the refugees a chance to realise they've made a terrible mistake and should have gone somewhere with empathy and human kindness instead. The policy has also been extended, so it's not just immediate family members of British nationals or Ukrainians with settled status who can now apply, but you don't have to have any ties to the UK to come here. Though let's face it, if you do have family here, they've probably already warned you that it isn't worth it unless you're really desperate to get Covid and have three jobs just to turn the lights on occasionally. There's apparently no cap on the amount of people from Ukraine that will be helped by this scheme, but that's a bit like saying, yeah, just let yourself in, then conveniently forgetting to unlock the doors or give them directions to get there. 
The main caveat is that British people who want to sponsor a refugee have to name them. And that's pretty dehumanising, isn't it? As they'll already have names. They're people, not pets, for fuck's sake. Thing is, all of that comes in this week, which means that 22,000 people who've already applied aren't covered by it and have been stuck in northern France and were told to take a train to Lille that didn't exist to a processing centre that was a pop-up like it's some Shoreditch novelty. You have to wonder if this is why the Krypton Factor was rebooted so it could be shown in other countries as an example of just what it's like to seek asylum in the UK. Who knows, perhaps there's some weird shortcut where if you find an old mage and collect the ingredients for his soup, he'll give you a special key. Or maybe if you solve an ancient riddle and get past the Sphinx, then you'll discover a safe passage that wasn't there before. According to a leaked email, a Home Office memo was sent early on in the Ukraine crisis that set out that the Home Secretary Priti Patel, who can only feel warmth when hanging around a crematorium, did not have the priority of providing safe haven, but to protect the security of the United Kingdom. Yes, yes, because nothing poses a threat quite like people who've travelled for miles to seek safety from an invasion and are even willing to live at Michael Gove's house, which I'm certain is just a giant cocoon. It's always been an odd notion that those in need of refuge might be a threat, as though the best way to inflict harm on the UK is by risking your life in a dinghy and then spending years in a detention centre with all the hospitality and service of Guantanamo Bay while being paid eight quid a week to get by and not being allowed a job. Yeah, that'll defeat the West. They'll crumble at the very idea that someone's seen Papillon and thinks, actually, that's the life that I want. It doesn't say a lot for the nation if our biggest concern is being undone by a child that's witnessed crimes against humanity, does it? Then again, maybe the issue is that that child would know what to look out for when they get here and they might tell everyone else exactly how bad it is. Leader of the Liberal Democrats, if you can remember who that is, can you? Go and try. A bit like a misfired Toby jug. Yes, that's it. Well done, Ed Davey. He's, um, oh, you've forgotten him again, have you? Never mind. Anyway, that guy, he's calling for Pretty Patel to be sacked over her handling of it all. But what he's not realised is that means someone's got to be brave enough to tell her she's been sacked and God knows what she would do to them. Does the buck really stop with Patel though, especially when she gets someone to turn the buck around way before it even got close and it'd never get to leave Calais? Or does it stop with Prime Minister Boris Johnson, a man who if he was a building, probably an old shit-filled barn, would be condemned and demolished because it'd be widely decided it wasn't in any condition to be used for anything? Boris Johnson is the man ultimately in charge of all these decisions, even if that has always been much like leaving a troll in charge of your goat herd. So, of course, it is all too little too late as that relates to every aspect of his life except likely shagging where it's almost certain he's too little too early regardless of what his paramours say in order to secure funding for their startups. Johnson finally announced last week a handful more sanctions on oligarchs with connections to Putin, kindly giving them enough time to move all their assets to offshore tax havens first. It's very much closing the stable door once all the horses have gone to the Cayman Islands. Billionaire and Limmy character Roman Abramovich is one of seven who's had all his assets frozen, which includes Chelsea Football Club, meaning that no new tickets can now be sold to their matches. Luckily, the last two years mean they'll be used to playing to empty stadiums, and with Covid making a strong reappearance this week, it might just mean that they're ahead of the curve anyway. Foreign Secretary and Chuck in the Angry Birds game, Liz Truss, gave a big speech in Washington DC saying that they must never ever allow again aggression like that of Russian President and reconstituted chicken nugget Vladimir Putin to grow unchecked. Though that would of course require people like her to be aware of anything outside of her phone's front-facing camera. Truss called for an end of the era of complacency before she no doubt posed for a photo shoot and congratulated herself on saying words. All this talk is one thing and one thing that the government always do, but Salon Ewok, an owner of the Evening Standard, Evgeny Lebedev, is still a peer in the House of Lords, even though British intelligence services have been warning about him being a security threat since 2013. Boris Johnson ignored those warnings, probably because anything marked with intelligence likely intimidates him, and made his pal that invites him to big parties in Italy a lord anyway. 
Evidence has been revealed that make it seem Lebedev was influential in getting Johnson and Gove to back the Leave campaign, although for the Prime Minister it probably just required saying, you'll get to stand by a bus, and that was enough. Despite his father being a KGB agent, Boris Johnson having meetings with him without any security protocols and his insistence that the poisoning of Putin's enemies was actually done by MI6, Evgeny Lebedev says he's not a security threat. Which, I mean, let's be fair, he's not a refugee trying to seek asylum in this country, is he? So, guess he definitely isn't under the Home Office definition. Michael Gove has defended Boris Johnson's relationship with the Evening Standard owner and says that no one raised security concerns with him at the time. No, of course not, because that would mean they'd have to talk to Michael Gove, and why would they put themselves through that? It's not just Ukrainians who are being affected by this war, by the way. Oh no, oh no, of course. Um, According to the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, the sort of man who took a briefcase to school instead of a lunchbox, he says Russia's invasion means economic uncertainty for the UK. Shit, just when we were doing so well. What terrible timing, right? The UK is facing the biggest income squeeze in 50 years, but hey, I guess even the economy needs a hug sometimes too, right? According to Sunak, though, this is definitely because of this war and not at all to do with letting a ton of pandemic fraud off the hook or having spent all their money on a shit track and trace system or PPE that didn't work or terrible mismanagement of the economy or etc, etc, etc. I'm not sure what's happened with all that money that went missing, but obviously just a flash in the pan compared to this thing that's just happened after we were told about all the added costs weeks ago. But national insurance still has to rise because otherwise, how else will the government pay people to take refugees into their home when they won't be able to get there in the first place? The spring statement is going to take place on March the 23rd, because as we know, that season is for bringing new life, and the Chancellor has to be sure to offset that too. There are concerns that in it, Sunak is going to announce cuts to the government's green taxes plan, which will really throw off Putin, as there's absolutely no point in him firing nukes at the world when we're actively killing ourselves off anyway. Supposedly, to end a reliance on Russian oil and gas, there needs to be a return to fracking as well, which also doesn't end a reliance on oil and gas, but will cause earthquakes, so I guess no one would want to drive in one of those, and that'll cut petrol use. Ideally, the best thing would be to invest in green energies like wind, but then it'll make those big wind generators, you know, that are noisy and everyone hates them, whereas drilling massive holes in the ground over many years for little return should absolutely be fine. In another smart move, and to thwart further efforts by Putin to poison any of his enemies in the UK, the government are also considering once again allowing the use of pesticides that are banned in the EU, so we can all poison ourselves first. Ha! Take that, Putin. You can't get as if we're already dead. Winners! The UK have apparently discussed oil stability with Saudi Arabia because what better way to show your opposition to violent autocratic regimes than just by siding with a different one? Saudi Arabia did 81 beheadings on Saturday last week, exceeding the death sentences they did in all of 2021, which isn't really the sort of record that you want to boast about, is it? Yeah, we're number one for barbaric ancient punishments. I do hope the British government are talking to them about price per barrel rather than per head, or it's going to be an awful lot more expensive. In Ukraine, the Russian invasion has again stepped up with increased attacks on Kiev and last week the bombing of a maternity hospital in Maripol, killing a number of children and injuring many more, which is a definite war crime and just massively depressing and horrible. Russia apparently asked China for military help, but the US have warned Beijing that there will be consequences if they do, but China accused the US of spreading disinformation and Russia said they never asked China in the first place. And it's tricky to know who to believe, because Russia also said they definitely, definitely wouldn't invade Ukraine. So now all we need to know if they did or didn't ask China for help is for Boris Johnson to make a comment about how he's not aware if they did, and then we'll know for sure it occurred. The UK government have said they'll help fund the International Criminal Court in investigating Russia's war crime, and I really hope they do, rather than, say, offer to lend them Sue Gray so absolutely nothing gets done for months. And when it does, it turns out it's just a bunch of tuts. 
More and more international figures have been speaking out against the invasion, with cosplay of Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, Pope Francis, asking Russia in the name of God to stop the massacre, because as we know, nothing helps like thoughts and prayers. And a knighthood, ofs. While in the UK, man who always looks like a cartoon sad banana, Prince William, said it's normal to see war in Africa and Asia, but very alien to see war in Europe like this. Yes, that'll be because all the Europeans usually fight in Africa and Asia. I mean, it's not stealing if they just take stuff from themselves, is it? So what's the point? Still, we can't criticise Wills, can we? Because by allowing President Zelensky to honorarily pledge allegiance to his grandmother, he's already done more than enough, hasn't he? In other news, the High Court have said the Met Police acted unlawfully in blocking the vigil for Sarah Everard last year, saying the Met's actions were not in accordance with the law, which does seem to be their thing at the moment, and very at odds with the job. This was their decisions that led to the cancelling of the vigil, and not their behaviour towards protesters that gathered anyway. Though, I'm not sure legally where you stand if the people saying you can't protest, as it would be illegal, were also being illegal, and then you protest, you sort of hope it just cancels each other out. Former common speaker and several of the characters from Wind in the Willows all at once, John Burko, has been found to be a serial bully and a liar by an independent inquiry. So I assume it's any day now before he's back in the commons with a brand new job in the Home Office. And lastly, guess who's back, back again? Yes, it's Covid, which seems to be competing with Batman movies for a number of unwanted and unnecessary reboots. Infections are rising again across the UK, and the Office of National Statistics say it's just too early to say why. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I'm guessing then it's not the lifting of all restrictions and everyone's booster jabs waning. I'd almost bet money that we're days away from it being down to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Huh, bet it is. This time, it's a new variant of Omicron called BA2, but Health Secretary Sajid Javid says the government have no concerns at all. Which, yes, has been very much the issue we've had since March 2020, hasn't it? So that's pandemic, war pandemic. I'm holding out for it being Godzilla next, and somehow that meaning all of us in the UK will have to pay more for prescriptions, while the government decides that that rather than curbing nuclear waste dumps into the sea, they're going to build a cyber Godzilla in order to minimise destruction. Hey you! It has been a sunny spring day here today and I am feeling bizarrely better about everything because of it. Um, even though obviously everything is terrible and very depressing. Um, but it's just amazing, isn't it, how much the sun has an impact on well-being. I mean the one in the sky, obviously, not the newspaper one. That has the exact reverse effect and is therefore completely misnamed. Um, but yeah, uh, just spring. I felt like I've, I've needed... It feels very trivial when the world is falling to pieces, but geez, it's a little bit of sunshine. Um, I had quite an exciting week last week. Uh, as the script that I mentioned in last week's show, um, that was for an explainer animation on the situation in Ukraine and it was uh, going to go on a pretty big internet content channel uh, and it went up for approximately three hours and then it was spammed to hell and back by what were uh, apparently Russian bots uh, and the heads of the company panicked and pulled it. So I think that means I've been cancelled now, right? And I can now go on like a 400 date comedy tour and get interviewed on every TV show talking about how I can't say anything to anyone apart from everything I'm actually saying on the TV show at that time. I'll just, I'll wait for this career to kickstart any minute now. Very exciting. Um, no, sadly the video is just a historical explainer but obviously such a volatile situation that anything online about it is instant bait for grim comments and spam links which is uh, massively depressing isn't it um anyway so i don't think that i'll ever see the light of day ever again but let me tell you it looked great uh, i also went to see my nan last week and she told me that her dad was born in kiev but had a uh, russian on his passport which i don't think she'd told me before that would be in the late 1800s um historians among you can tell me if that's correct um yeah so i don't think i knew that before or, or more likely i did and i absolutely just didn't pay attention when she said it last time but still that's quite cool to find out um though my wife pointed out that doesn't mean that all the current news is about me which is fair and no apparently i can't start up a donations link or just go live in someone else's house um, which is a shame <laughs> 
Um, it's funny, isn't it, though? Because I wholeheartedly respect anyone that can put up refugees in their own home. And God, I, I wish I had the space to do it myself. would have done it ages ago. Um, but also, if we lived in a country and didn't have such a shitty, inhospitable attitude, no one would have to, would they? Because the government would care for other people. Um, it's a bit like when everyone got praised for volunteering for the NHS during COVID, which again, well done you if you did it. That's brilliant. But if the NHS had been properly funded, staff properly paid, and a ton of staff didn't leave due to Brexit, then no one would have had to volunteer. Or the way the Tories always praise food banks, and yes, it's great someone's running them, but really, really, they shouldn't ever have to because ideally everyone would be able to afford to eat. The whole situation is like getting praised for completing the Squid Games challenges that you only had to do because you'd be killed if you didn't. Anyway, that's my grumble over. Um, thanks for being here yet again. There is no interview on this week's show because I haven't had time to fit one in. Um, and that is a clever way of saying no one responded to my emails. Um, next week is likely going to be the same because... Um next week my daughter turns four and it means she can finally have a birthday because the last two were in lockdowns and the first one um she had norovirus and basically just shat her way through it and no one could come around so next week we're trying to do proper like have a little party with her friends and take her out and have like a proper birthday birthday which will mean that i will not have any time to interview people about clever shit and next week's episode will probably be super short um anyway what we've got on this week's is what i call a ukraine explainer um, hopefully it'll be of some use to someone somewhere um, it's very hard to know where and what to talk about with the situation in Ukraine because it's constantly changing or really getting worse um, I'm glad so many of you enjoyed the chat with Richard last week a bit of local politics and obviously I'm up for that too um, thanks to Steve on the Facebook group who suggested I try and get someone to talk about the UK's overall immigration policies that would be good dealt with a lot with uh, asylum um, policies but not with the immigration policies so that would be interesting and I'm trying to find someone um, and ideally I'd love to talk to someone about exactly what all the Russian donations from oligarchs to the Conservatives mean and all those connections but so far the small amount of people doing that journalism are well very busy uh, I've just received Oliver Bullock's book uh, Butler to the World his brand new one um, and uh, it looks very exciting and started tonight and he did get back to me on Twitter so it'd be brilliant if he has time to chat but I've got a feeling he won't as his book is published at a frighteningly prevalent time almost mysteriously convenient you might say hmm, maybe I should write a book investigating the timing of his book hmm, no of course I am being silly I can't write a book I'm far too busy um, so cheers look for you know being you never change eh and please do donate to the show if you can and you've already donated to the 400 more more important causes out there um, but if you do still have money left over and you can you can of course donate at Kofi ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or patreon.com forward slash parpolbro and you know review the show or just tell other people about it or I don't know I never know anymore I think that's it isn't it that's all the sort of things you can do I like to think there was something more interesting that would help out the show like whisper the RSS feed into the clouds on a windy day so it travels across the lands landing into people's phones but apparently that is not a thing that works so you know maybe don't bother Right, have this then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm not sure if you know this, but as well as the invasion of Ukraine, there is... Um, oh, hang on. Let me just do the voice I imagine people do when typing things on social media. Um, there is um, an invasion on the truth. I'm sure that's what they sound like. Um, but really, though, much like everything that's happened in the last 20 years, the internet is spewing up a lot of unfactual vomit about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And, as is also always the case, many dosh-chasing newspaper columnists are scooping up that vomit and using it to write lengthy pieces with, even though it must really stick between the keys of their keyboard. But what is the truth, though? I mean, does anyone know anything ever? Who's to say that this isn't Russia invading Ukraine, but a bunch of aliens in disguise as people attacking a bunch of AI disguised as people, and we're all involved in part of a 400-year intergalactic war? No one's actually said that online, because um, all their weird conspiracies are boring in comparison. By the way, this isn't also because it's not an alien versus robot war. That's not going to happen for at least three years. So what I thought I'd do, though, is some Ukrainer explainers. Um, And I should say... I've researched the crap out of this, but it might still be wrong. I've done, as internet idiots say, my own research. But by that, I mean I've read a lot of explainers and sort of um, things by experts, often sort of like university academics who start do Russian studies and all those sorts of things. And look, I've checked it, and basically it's really... I don't think it's that hard to find the proper answers to these things as long as you don't immediately go to a YouTube video by someone who drinks their own urine and insists they know the facts because they saw them in a fever dream. So, look, if any of this isn't quite right, well, then you're wrong and worse than Hitler! Sorry, I mean, um, you know, drop me a line and I'll correct you next week. Here is Ukrainer Explainer. Is Ukraine full of Nazis? But you might remember that Putin, with his swole face, said that he had to denazify Ukraine, which was part of his reason for invading. Zelensky retaliated by pointing out that he's Jewish and said, uh, how could a country that lost 8 million people in World War II, many in the Holocaust, be Nazis? Which, you know, I think, pretty valid point. But that hasn't dissuaded some people online from saying, but Ukraine is full of Nazis, you know. And the thing is... It is. Well, I mean, it's not. It's not full of Nazis, but there are a few because it's a predominantly white country in Europe. And so that's very much depressingly on brand for the 21st century. There is a neo-Nazi military group in Ukraine called Azov who love the fighting because they Nazis and they've very worryingly been integrated into the Ukrainian armed forces. But hey, which Western army in the 21st century doesn't have Nazis in it? Am I right? What is it about carrying a weapon, violence and nationalistic pride that attracts supremacists to the army, I wonder? It's really odd. Azov also, for a while, had an MP in Ukrainian parliament till 2019. But what Western democracy in 21st century doesn't have a Nazi in government, am I right? I wonder what it is about power structures and nationalistic pride that attracts supremacists to parliament. Really odd. There are currently about 1,000 Azov members and they are a very, very scary bunch. They've got their own children's training camps where presumably songs about rainbows are really watered down and they've been linked to some very grim vigilante shit where anti-fascist demonstrations, foreign students and Roma citizens, among others, have been attacked. Human Rights Watch said in 2012 that Ukraine was endemically racist, so us here in Britain are basically their twinsies. But, and it's a big but, (laughs) big buts, far-right parties did pretty badly in the 2019 Ukrainian elections, and a far-right march in Kiev in January this year alarmed a majority of citizens who were publicly very worried about it. So yes, there are Nazis in Ukraine, and any Nazis is too much Nazis, that's the phrase, and my tea towel, but Ukraine is by no means any more Nazi than, well, depressingly, anywhere else in Europe. 
or the US. Or, you know, Russia, which is currently illegally invading a country with tanks bearing a big Z, which is basically half a swastika, isn't it? And I'm sure that's how Sesame Street taught it. Anyway, no, I won't sing the song. Is this NATO's fault because of the European expansion? Now, this may blow some minds out there, but it's entirely possible to think Russia are doing an awful, awful thing. And that NATO aren't really a great bunch of people. I mean, sure, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization formed to stop Germany or the Soviet Union doing more war after the Second World One, because back then trilogies and reboots weren't as cool. Seemed like a really nice idea. But after the Cold War, and in more recent times for me, or for young people, ancient times, NATO have done some really the opposite of great military interventions. Just look up Bosnia and Herzegovina, or Kosovo, or the more than 1,000 civilians NATO strike killed in Afghanistan, or the multiple cases of civilian harm that NATO were found to be responsible for in Libya. No, in fact, don't go look them up. They're all really miserable, and absolutely no one needs that shit right now. Quick, go look at some pictures of otters holding hands. Better? Oh, they're lovely, aren't they? They're adorable. Good. Right, now back to NATO. They are a big military alliance. If you're one of those idiots like me who has these weird ideas that maybe we could all get along without the death and war bit, then their current existence as a big old force that runs around saying, hey, you hurt one of our gang and we'll bomb your kids, doesn't sit that nicely on my plate. But, yes, I said but again, so many buts, but it seems it's not at all right to say this Russia invasion was provoked by NATO. Sure, Russia have been pretty unhappy with the idea of NATO expansion since the 90s, but a number of experts say though Putin said this invasion was about NATO, it isn't entirely about NATO, because otherwise Russia would have reacted this strongly to the massive eastward NATO expansion in 2004, or Ukraine announcing it wanted to join NATO in 2002, or Ukrainian president from 2005 to 2010, Viktor Yushchenko, saying throughout his time in the big house that he wanted to join NATO. And a NATO membership wasn't even on the cards for Ukraine in 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea and kicked off the war in Donbass. In fact, Russia's invasion of Ukraine now makes Ukraine joining NATO more likely because prior to this, Russia's ally in Hungary, Viktor Orban, would probably have tried to block any membership attempt from Ukraine, while France and Germany weren't keen on other Soviet states joining either. But now it looks far more likely they will join, depending on what happens next, of course, and that Finland want to join too. Basically, Putin's been such a dick of a neighbour, everyone else wants to join the neighbourhood watch and is prepared to put up with a shit-awful monthly newsletter to do so. So, why did Putin invade Ukraine? Well, as you probably heard in the interview with Anna Reid a couple of weeks ago, as boring as it is compared to alien invasion, global conspiracy jams, it seems Putin wants Russian expansion, and he thinks having a democratic society on his doorstep may threaten his authoritarian vibes. I mean, back to the neighbours analogy, everybody needs good neighbours. No, sorry, sorry. I mean, if you see the people next door having a great time, whereas in your home they're beating up gay people and poisoning your political opposition, you'd probably get pretty down about this situ. Is this war illegal? Yes, entirely. Even though it'd be nice to think all wars should be illegal. God, there I go again. Why don't I just go hug a tree or something? God. Russia's invasion is illegal under contemporary international law. A bit like the invasion of Iraq, really, or the Saudi intervention in Yemen. And as with both those cases, there are harsh global penalties to pay for embarking on illegal... Oh. Oh, well. Oh, dear. This invasion wasn't in self-defence, even if Putin says it was, and it definitely wasn't sanctioned by the UN Security Council authorising the use of force, so therefore illegal, which probably means the Met police love it. Is this the first conflict in Europe in our lifetime? No, you fucking idiots. I mean, yes, it is, if you're like, what, one year old? But if you're Prince William's age, for example, 39, which is younger than me, but haha, <laughs> I still have hair, then in Europe there was the Romanian Revolution, the Croatian War of Independence, the Georgian Civil War, the Bosnian War, the East Prejordani Conflict, the War in Transnistria, the War in Abshaxia, the Chechen Civil War, the Russian Constitutional Crisis, the Kosovo War, the insertion in the Presno Valley, the War of Dagestan, the Sechen Chechen War, the War in Ingushia, the Russo Georgian War, insurgency in the North Caucasus, uh, South Kyrgyzstan ethnic 
clashes, which, yes, okay, is actually in Asia just about. No, you shut up. And the Russia-Ukrainian war, which is what's happening now, but really started in 2014. All of that has happened in the Prince William's lifetime, and that is just in Europe, well, and a little bit of Asia, and not even taking in all the other ones around the world, particularly in the Middle East. But hey, I guess it's hard when you're royal to find time to get a servant and sit and read you through what might be happening anywhere else in the fucking world when you've got to keep spawning out children and pretending you don't know your uncle is a massive pedo. Don't the left support Russia, though? Who? Who are these people that supposedly exist? There is a narrative, because there always is, that certain left-wing political factions support Putin because they don't like NATO going around killing civilians, so it must mean they play for the other team rather than, you know, think both are bad. Yeah, I bet you can find several people on Twitter that do support Russia because every sort of shit show exists on Twitter. It's like one of Dante's circles of hell. And yes, I mean, sure, there was a picture of the former Labour leader who's now not the Labour leader at all. Why are you still bothered by him and talk about him every day? And there was a picture of him on the backdrop of the news night some years ago, which made him look like he was wearing a Russian hat. So that must mean he and everyone's involved with love Putin and love him so much they want to kiss him, which instantly he'd hate and would have you arrested for. And all of that, obviously, is really dangerous and totally unlike the Conservative government, who are funded by money from Putin's friends and have a media room paid for by Putin's friends and made one of Putin's friends a lord and wouldn't let anyone investigate Russian interference in the election which was highly suspicious but yeah that hat right he was wearing a Russian hat so probably like wants to kiss Putin also Peter Mandelson who's the fucking war loving Epstein friendly spectre that's now advising Keir Starmer also big pals with Evgeny Lebedev but hey I'm sure it's fine weren't you on Russia today Yes, yes, I was on Russia Today, uh, full disclosure. I was on it twice, back when I had zero idea that Russian Today was a Russian state service, um, because I was an idiot. Um, I, I was told at the time, oh, it's like the BBC for Russia, um, and that was about ten years ago, and I thought, oh, that's cool, BBC but for, for Russia. And then when I went on it, I got a little bit suspicious, and they said I could joke about anything I liked except Russia. And then I did it a second time, and I was told I'd be on a topical satirical bit, and instead they put me in front of an international broadcaster who asked me really serious questions about geo in Assange which I had no clue about and I tried to be funny failed they quoted me online I got trolled absolutely loads and I didn't get paid either time it was terrible I really fucked it up oh and also there was the time I got offered really really good money to do this show this podcast on Sputnik Radio which is a sort of radio side of Russia today um, but I turned it down because I'd learned by then uh, who they were and my stupid morals always make me poor like when I turned down a 10,000 bad advert for a pepperoni style sausage because I've been a lifelong vegetarian and I just felt like that would be weird. And then the next day, after turning down, I couldn't withdraw any money from the bank, so I'd gone too far into my overdraft and um, couldn't pay any of my bills that month. Yes, maybe I'm an idiot, but, um, you know, pay. I'd have doubted it'd make any difference anyway if I had got paid by Russia today. I mean, look where doing that for years has got Jonathan Pye. Oh, yeah, the New York Times. Oh, well. Oh, well. Also, it's worth saying there's tons of disinformation and misinformation about what's happening in Ukraine. The difference, by the way, is that disinformation is deliberately fake or wrong info, whereas misinformation is a character created by Roger Hargreaves as part of the Little Miss series. I'm sorry, I mean, misinformation is info that someone doesn't know is wrong because they're an idiot. There are loads of good tips to check if what you're seeing is real, fake, or just from a completely different thing altogether and posted by an arsehole. One video that was seen nearly 200,000 times recently on Twitter, supposedly of bomber jets flying over Ukraine, was actually footage from an air show in 2020. I don't know if they edited out the will you marry me in cloud writing because that might have given it away. You can reverse search an image, you can hit right click on an image and click search Google for image and it'll tell you if it's been used before and there are other ways on other search engines to do that too but I don't know what those search engines are or who actually uses them. Bing? No mate, that's a CBeebies rabbit. He'd be shit at fact checking. He can't even eat an ice cream without dropping it or pissing himself. The five pillars of fact checking are provenance, where did it originate from, which isn't provenance actually, that would be 
So anyway, that's confusing. What if it originated from Providence? Anyway, source, who made the original. Date, the upload time may be different to when it was posted. Location, is the image geotagged in the same place it says it is? And motivation, can it do star jumps at 8am? No, sorry, I mean, what made the person who made this source make it? Now, I know all of that is an effort when you just want to hit the share button, but worth a quick check before you find out that instead of a video of crimes against humanity, you've once again just sent everyone a picture of you dancing at that wedding, which was indeed a crime against humanity, but that doesn't really help right now. So, was all of that right, or am I just a mouthpiece for, um, my brain, which is influenced by reading things from everywhere, damn it, God, I'm tired. But look, if I've got any of that wrong, and there's actually been no wars in Europe since 1982, or actually this whole invasion of Ukraine is legal, uh, because the country is one giant Nazi Godzilla that may well rise up from the earth and do giant destructive goose steps till Putin stops it, then do let me know, and I will happily stand corrected. Or more likely, sit corrected, as frankly, it's far more comfortable. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Tar loads for subscribing, listening, or just sitting next to someone on the bus that was playing this loudly enough for you to ear-steal its content. And if you liked what you heard it, then please consider telling other people to wrap some headphones around their noggin and give it a try too. Maybe even donate to the Kofi or Patreon, and should you be so inclined, why not even give the show a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or somewhere similarly overly full of the same five comedians doing endless shows about their favourite lamppost or something as tedious as that. Thank you to ACAST, my brother last skeptic and cat day. And this will be back next week when the UK government announces that in order to help Ukrainian refugees, there will be no restrictions on entry, though each person will have to collect a star from inside a container of scorpions that is suspended above a basin of muddy water. And once the star is collected, they'll then go into an audience vote from which only one can go through. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Michael Gove's Hostel, a welcoming place for all who need it, named after the hit 2005 film, which is one of Michael Gove's favourites and which he calls aspirational. It's fine. It's definitely fine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.